The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and, make, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, when all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Zion. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, O mountains into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, may we have a posture of humility as we come before you. May we have patience and understanding and may your Holy Spirit continue to give us uh, open hearts, open ears, and open minds. Lord, I pray that uh, your gospel continues to be a stronghold for us in days of, in times of weakness and times of strength. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to meet, opportunity to show, an opportunity to embrace your gospel. Lord, may your uh, Randall preach your word by the strength of your Holy Spirit. 
and may the people, your people, listen to you. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your gospel. And we pray this together. And the church said, amen. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, brother. All right, good morning, everyone. Again, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah 49. Uh, and uh, if you're new this morning, I just want to welcome you. My name is Randall. I'm the pastor of Grace City. And uh, we've been in this uh, series for a couple weeks now in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're looking at Isaiah because Isaiah helps prepare our hearts for Easter, which is coming up soon. Um, but this book in particular, and in Isaiah uh, specifically, helps us because Isaiah uh, is quoted in the New Testament more than any other of the prophets combined. And we've been talking about that. And so there's something unique about Isaiah as we look at him today that helps us prepare our hearts uh, for Easter. And so in Isaiah 49, uh, what we've been talking about is the, the songs of the suffering servant. And so this is another one of those songs. Now, our message today is answering doubts. Answering doubts. Let me ask you a question. How do you think God would respond if you shared with him your doubts? Your doubts. Your doubts about whether he's there or not. The doubts about whether God is active in your life. The doubts of whether God cares. Maybe you think if I were really honest about that, I would feel condemnation or guilt, that God would be upset with me, maybe even a little sarcastic. In the Bible, God's answer to our doubts is not an argument or a pep talk or a scolding, but a suffering servant. And in the book of Isaiah, this is made vividly clear in the four passages that we've been looking at. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, next week, and then 52 and 53. See, these are called the songs of the suffering servant. And these songs paint a picture for us of, of who God is and, and how God relates to us. Think about music. Think about the way that it speaks to our hearts. Now think about how God has given us this text. It's in song. See, it's meant to be remembered. So, who is it that's this veiled figure that's the suffering servant? Well, the New Testament is clear, and it tells us that this suffering servant is Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus describes his mission, when he describes who he is, he says, I did not come to be served. And if anyone had the, the right to be served, it would have been Jesus. But what, did it, what, what does he say? He says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus and his mission and who he is helps us to answer some of the doubts that we may have in our mind about who God is. So again, our text is from Isaiah 49, uh, and we're really going to focus in today uh, on verses 8 through 16. 
Just to kind of give a sweeping picture of what the, this scripture is about, it's, it's this transition that's happened where um, Israel, God's people, were, were meant to be the ones that were supposed to bring the light to the world. You see through the scriptures that it talks about the coastlands. And so God's love and grace were meant to not just be in, in one little group of people, but were meant to be spread. But there was a transition that happens where Israel was not living up to the expectations of what they were meant to be, but that there was going to be one who would be the answer to that mission. And so that's the suffering servant. So our question this morning is, how does God respond to doubts? How does God respond to doubts? Well, he responds in three ways, and we're going to break it down from this text, but number one, he, he gives promises. Number two, addresses doubts. And number three, provides reminders. Gives promises, addresses doubts, provides reminders. And so the first one is he gives promises. Now let's look at verses 8 through 10. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, uh, to apportion uh, the, the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them. Just to give some context of what, what's happening here, God's people up to this point have been struggling. Now remember, uh, Isaiah and his calling. If you weren't here when we worked through Isaiah 6, I would encourage you to go back and, and look at that message. But in Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets this calling. And, and Isaiah was somebody up to that point who was gifted, who was from royal lineage, who, who had all, all these opportunities in front of him. But then he meets God and God calls him to share his word with people. But God tells him this in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. He says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Basically, Isaiah was given a mission that was impossible. It was that no one was gonna listen to him that his ministry in many people's eyes would look like a failure because they wouldn't listen to God, but they would actually rebel against God. See, what was it that closed people's ears, calloused their hearts, closed their eyes? It was grace. It was that Isaiah's mission was to go out and tell them about God and who he is and, and, and his love for them and how he's calling them back to himself. He's calling out with grace. God reaching out, saying he's there to help them, saying that he's having pity on them. He sees the darkness that they're going towards and he's, he's warning them. But yet the people don't want to listen. They're covering their ears. You ever see that thing like kids do sometimes? La, 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 la. Like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. My kids never do that. Right, Ava, you never do that. But... Here's the thing. Have you ever tried to help someone 
who didn't want your help or love. You really cared about them. You, you, you were looking out for them. You were trying to give them the best advice that you could. If you press too much, what can happen? What can make that person even more callous and hardened to you? They, they start to not like you. They say, get, get out of here. Like, I, I don't want to hear that anymore. See, God is saying with his people, this was happening. They were obstinate, rebelling, not wanting his help. I can do it on my own. There's this phrase, the, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. God is reaching out to his people and giving them these promises, his love. He's promising, I'm there for you. I care for you. I, I want good things for your life. See, what were some of the specific promises that he gives? Well, in verse 8, he talks about this, this restoration that would happen for them. And in, in, again, in verse 8, there's a possession. In, in 9, there's a liberation, a freedom. Again, in nine, verse 9, transformation could happen. Do you see the offer God gives? Here's the important part. Here's what he says. He says uh, later, he says, for he has pity on them, will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. How does the restoration, possession, the, the, the freedom and liberation, the, the transformation happen for them? What was the promise? It happened when God says, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I have compassion and pity. It's, it's, it's almost like that, that verse when, when Jesus says, he sees the crowd of people and it says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Right, they were lost, they were confused, they were doing their own thing and, and Jesus looked at the crowd and said, it says that he felt it on his inside. His very bowels, like that's where he felt it deep within him. He, he, he said they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so there was this warmth and gentleness to the words that God's giving, a kindness. I was able to do a wedding uh, this week. Some of you know Sam and Brendan who've been a part of our church for a long time. Um, and it was a real gift to be able to be a part of um, their wedding ceremony and a couple things that stuck out to me was, um, you know, when Sam, who was sharing with that she first met Brendan, said, you know, I always thought that I would be single. That's just kind of my thing. Like, I didn't want to be married. <laughs> that wasn't on my, in my plans. And Brendan, he, he said during his vows, he said, you know, Praise God that I convinced you to, to be my wife, you know? And so uh, one of the things that Sam said was at the end, as we were, we were um, they were sharing a little bit about, like, what are the things that you're excited about over the next 50 years? Uh, it was after the, the ceremony and everything. And um, this stuck out to me. Sam said, you know, she says, sometimes I can be really stubborn. She was just totally honest. She's like, I, that can be me. But she says, you know, it, it's... Brendan's grace and gentleness that he shows me that just 
it, it melts me, you know? And it was just like one of those moments where I thought, like, seeing Brendan and, and just seeing his love for his, his wife, it, it just reminded me, it gave me this picture of it visually of, of what it looks like as God comes into our life. And he speaks these promises to us. And he comes in with, with gentleness, with care, with compassion. And so God gave promises to his people. But instead of melting them, it hardened them. Part of the hardening is, is verse 2, uh, where it says he addresses doubts. So look at verses 13 through 14. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Now, there's two parts to this. The first part is verse 13, where God gives all of these promises. He's talking about himself. He's saying, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. I am there for you. And the natural response should be, verse 13, shout for joy. You heavens, rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. Basically, it was a call for the fact that if you know that God loves you like that, there should be a rejoicing that happens. It, it talks about the earth. It talks about the heavens. It says all of creation should be rejoicing. See, this is the proper response to hearing God's promises, for there to be a rejoicing in all creation. But look at verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. What's happening here? Well, who is Zion? Well, Zion is God's people. Again, th there's that transition that's happened. And commentator Alec Matir, he says, this is the tragic anticlimax to the exuberance of verse 13. This is ruined, broken, defeated Zion, God's people, after long years of emptiness. It talk, God talks about this in Isaiah 40, verse 27, Isaiah 45, verses 9 through 11, Isaiah 46, 8 through 12. At this point in their life, they are despondent, defeatist, and grumbling. Again, Matir says, they prefer their misery over God's promises. See, what's happening? God was telling his people before this that he's still at work. They're, they're living in a time where it looks like everything around them is falling apart. And God's looking at them and saying, I'm still with you. I still care for you. I, I love you. It's like everything in their life is not like they expected. That There was like these unmet expectations that they had that they've placed on God. And now what's happened is they're stuck in self-pity. They're stuck in self-pity. They're thinking, God, you're not there and you don't care. And so 
How do we know that God does care? There was a quote that I heard a while back. It's in a, a commentary by Derek Kidner. And it's in the Psalms. You know the Psalms that have these moments where the, the, the psalmist is very honest and real and feeling like, God, are you even there? But this is what he says about that psalm. He says, God knows how men speak when they are desperate. God knows how men speak when they're desperate. You ever said things like that to God? You ever thought those types of things? Oh, God's forsaken me. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, he doesn't care about me. There's no way he could be there for me right now. Look at my life. How do we know God cares? See, this wasn't the people bringing up the doubt. This wasn't people bringing up the discouragement. Who was bringing it up? God was. In verse 14, he's speaking to their doubts. He's saying, this is how you feel right now. So maybe you think you're the only one who knows this, but he's God and he knows it. And so he's actually bringing it out into the light that that's how they were feeling. The way they were feeling was, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. I feel forsaken and I feel forgotten. See, God is addressing the real feelings that the people had. He doesn't avoid how the people then really felt, and he doesn't avoid how you and I really feel. But he cares. So how does he show he cares? He gives the people, lastly, these two unforgettable visual reminders. Two visual reminders, okay? And so this is, This is important. So verses 15 through 16, he says this. Okay, I know you feel forsaken. I know you feel forgotten. But he says, can can a mother forget the baby at her breast and give no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And then verse 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Okay, so here's, let's break this down. So there are two reminders that God provides here. The first one is a mother. He says, look at a mother with her child. Now we have um, two new little babies in our congregation, praise God. Uh, baby Kilmer and baby Law, you know, and so we're just thankful for them. But you think about this. What God is saying is this. He's saying that when you see a newborn with their mother, the closeness the care, the intimacy. God says, when you see that, think about this. Think about how I care about you. He says, I care about you like that. I care about you like that. But here's the thing. As we know, not every mother is a perfect mother. Or in a broken world, some of you today have grown up neglected by your mother or without a mother. And God says something here at the end that speaks to us. He says, though she may forget. Though she may forget. You know, 
I remember my dad telling me as my grandmother was coming to the end of her life, he says, she was the best mother, the best. I remember her, my, my dad's mom, going to her house during the summers. I mean, I, I loved going to my grandmother's house. We were so close. She took amazing care of us. Uh, we weren't the easiest to take care of, and she was always accommodating and loving towards us. And I remember we were about to cross the street one day, and she looked over at some teenagers, and then she looked at me, and I was probably about nine or 10 at the time, and she says, she says, look at those kids over there. She says, when you're, when you're their age, you'll forget about me. You'll forget about me. I said, Grandma, I'll never forget about you. And you know, years later, towards the end of her life, she got dementia. And I remember we were caring for her, and I remember we were going up the elevator, and I gave her just a little peck on the cheek. And she said, who are you? Said, Get away from me. I said, Grandma, it's me. It's Randall. And she didn't remember. And you know that that's this world. Even the best moms. They're not trying to forget, but they will forget. And if not forget, then they'll, they'll leave us, right? Because death comes for us all. But at the end of the day, look at what God says. He says, I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. How can we know? He says, he says, my palms. He says, look at my hands. Here's what he says. He says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, this phrase is very unusual because it was not common for a God to relate to their people like this. See, in the Old Testament, there were cultures that would uh, mark their bodies. They would cut themselves. I, I, if, if you would look at, um, you remember Elijah um, when he was on the, the, the mountain and, and all the prophets of Baal and they're cutting themselves up there to, so that their gods would, would listen to them? See, that's how other gods would relate to their people, by their people marking themselves. But what we see here is that it's the other way around. That God says he will mark himself with his people. God is saying, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You, I have engraved you. Now this word for engraved is the, uh, it has some different meanings, but the, word, the, the way they put engraved is, is, is to cut or to chisel to engrave. And I want you to think for a minute, this was written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And in John 20, 25, we find another person who was doubting. He was doubting whether God cared it's sad, but we, we've given him a label. His name's uh, Thomas, but we, we've called him over the years Downing Thomas. And he responds like this when he hears that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. 
Remember what he says? He says this. He says this in John 20, 25. He says, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now think about this. Thomas was in pain. (laughs) He was discouraged. He had just seen his friend die. He thought that everything was over. He thought this whole thing, Jesus, all of that is over. And he was asking for a reminder of Jesus that just seems impossible, right? Hold on, you want the, the nail marks? You want to put your hands there? His response is one of, is, is God still there? Does God care? You know, friends, if you're doubting or just, just struggling with your faith, I just want you to know that there, there are those who've gone before you that have as well. And all of us face pain at different moments. John Stott was a pastor. He once said, pain is endurable, but the seeming indifference of God is not. We think of him as an armchair spectator, almost gloating over the world's suffering and enjoying his own insultation from it, or insulation from it. It is this terrible caricature of God that the cross smashes to smithereens. That the cross smashes to smithereens. See, as Thomas is struggling, he needed a real tangible reminder that God cared. And we don't know exactly if he knew or not. I don't, we don't know if he was, probably not, but looking at Isaiah 49 and thinking to himself, okay, that's what I need. Now, he was probably just so hurt that he was just saying anything that came to his mind that said, okay, I just need some assurance right now. And that's the clearest assurance that I could find. Hold on to that. Some takeaways. How can we apply this to our doubts? Number one, God isn't surprised by our doubts, so we shouldn't be either. God isn't surprised by your doubts, and so we shouldn't be either. Are you struggling? Do you have doubts in your heart? Here's the thing. Our hearts wander. But God understands us. God understands us. You see, this is the thing about the gospel. It, it, it seems too good to be true. If you're really thinking about it, there's, there's, there's what Edmund Clowney calls the too much of Christianity. The too much. See, is it, is it too much that God would come down to become a man? Is it too much to believe that he would be a suffering servant? Is it too much that he would die on the cross for our sins? Is it too much that he, uh, we are dead in our trespasses apart from Christ? Is it too much that the only way to be saved is through confessing our weakness and trusting in Christ? Is it too much to believe that God would love me and have a better future for me? You see, to receive Christianity, we must receive the too much. It just seems too much, too impossible. 
What, what, is, what is Thomas doubting Thomas saying? He's saying it's too much. It's the too much. I've seen my friend die. It's just too much for me to tell you, tell me that he's resurrected right now. It's too much to absorb and take in. See, but I just want you to know that God isn't surprised by our doubts and he wasn't surprised by Thomas's doubts. So we shouldn't be either. But what do we do with that? We'll start examining your doubts. Start examining your doubts. As uh, one of my friends, he wrote a song called Doubting Doubts. <laughs> Doubting Doubts. Sometimes the, the, the doubts feel so real in our heart and our mind that we think, well, that's the only way. There's, there, there's, uh, pot, there's no other possible way other than the doubts that I have that that's true. But what would happen if we started to doubt our doubts? Os Guinness once said, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually justified, we were, be we were uh, believing what clearly was not worth believing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more uh, certainly, and it can enjoy God more deeply. It can enjoy God more deeply. Friends, if it's truth, then it will be true. <laughs> and God is not afraid of the questions that we may have. But are you willing to lean in and say, okay, Lord, What's your truth? What's your truth? Examine your doubts. Lastly, see that God loves you through your doubts. Um, you know, one of the hardest things to believe is that God could love us as we're struggling. As we're struggling. Um, and, you know, there's this picture that we see in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, it's the last battle, and there's a man named Emeth. Now, Emeth in Hebrew means truth. And he was struggling with doubts because some of the things that he thought about his God were actually discouraging about him. And then um, he actually has this encounter with Aslan, who if, if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the Christ figure. In there, and he has this experience where he meets Aslan, and it surprised him, you know. And um, he said that as he met Aslan, it says that Aslan, he says, he breathed upon me and took away the trembling from my limbs and caused me to stand upon my feet. See, what he was expecting was that he was going to get uh, a harsh rebuke. But instead, he encountered love. And here's what he says later. He says he's been, as Aslan found him, right? The, th the thing about the scriptures is that God finds us. God seeks us. We do not seek God, but God seeks us. And he encounters Aslan, and he has this experience, and then he says this. He says, since then, O kings and ladies, I have been wandering to find him. And my happiness is so great that it even weakens me like a wound. And this is the marvel of marvels that he could call, he called me beloved, me who am but a dog. 
He just felt so worthless, so beaten up. But as he saw this Christ figure, Aslan, he says that he could call me beloved. Beloved. Now back to Thomas. John 20, 26 through 27. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, I love that. Not anybody else in the room. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And do you know what happens next? Thomas says the clearest expression of faith that we find in the Gospels. He says, my Lord and God. My Lord and God. What was it that he experienced? He experienced the great reminder that Jesus was wounded for him. That he was beaten for him. That he was vulnerable for him. That he had died for him. See, when you look into the eyes of the crucified, suffering servant, and you say, Can I see those wounds? Can you help me to see that? Can I see that side? Can you help me to remember that that was for me? He starts to lovingly transform our doubts with his grace. And he starts to make us new people through his strength. And so how does God answer our doubts? He answers them through a suffering servant named Jesus. Will you look to him today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you meet us like this. Lord, 700 years before you walked the earth, you put it on paper through a prophet named Isaiah to get to us today. Thank you, God. Your gospel message is all throughout. And so I pray that we see you more clearly, Jesus, the suffering servant, and that as we prepare our hearts for Palm Sunday, for Good Friday, for Easter, Lord, that as we look at your word, that we see that every day, Lord, it's in the, the cross, it's in the suffering servant that we find our strength. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.